Glad to have you all here with us today. For those of you joining online, welcome. Glad you're connecting with us. I'm Aaron Kangas. I'm the next-gen pastor here, as you just heard. Um, and so my role is to connect with the kids, the youth, the young adults here at North Haven. And so uh, during the first service, my wife and I, uh, Sarah, and I sit in the first service. We participate and enjoy that. And then during second service, uh, I'm usually upstairs with the youth, the middle school and high school students, uh, doing a Bible study with them. And so it's a fun opportunity to get to be here Sunday morning, second service, and get to participate in this with you all today. You know, as I was uh, in the back listening to the worship and enjoying that, I, I am reminded how beautiful the variety of worship styles are. And so I, I have enjoyed getting to, to see that and, and join in that this morning. All right, so as we get started... Um, since I am the next-gen pastor, I want to take a moment and say, if you are a young adult or if you have a family with kids or middle school or high school students or college students, and I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to connect with you so we can do that in the commons if you can find me. I just want to get to know you and, and chat with you, so that would be great. Let me pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to meet with you today. We want to know you, we want to bring you glory and honor in the way that we interact with you today, but we also want to uh, listen to your voice. We want to hear you speak to us. So Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes so that we can hear what you're saying and see how you want us to live today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for opening your word. Amen. All right, how many of you enjoy roller coasters? Good, good. Okay, so here in Minnesota, you're probably very familiar with Valley Fair or Mall of America, Nickelodeon Universe, or Camp Snoopy, uh, maybe even some of the rides at the State Fair. I grew up in northern Ohio. home, or I grew up in central Ohio, but northern Ohio is home to what is called the roller coaster capital of the world, and it's very appropriately named. It's called Cedar Point. It's on a peninsula, a sandy little point that goes out into Lake Erie, and so as you are going on the rides, you're getting a beautiful view all around you of the lake, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful experience. One of Cedar Point's main attractions, one of their famous rides, is called the Millennium Force, not to be confused with the Millennium Falcon, the Millennium, uh, the world's first giga coaster. Let me explain what that means. So when, when uh, the Millennium Force was built, it broke five world records. It was uh, taller than 330 feet, which is what giga coaster means. And for a short time, it was the world's tallest and fastest roller coaster. It starts by climbing a 310-foot-tall hill. Immediately, it drops its riders back down 300 feet at an 80-degree angle, reaching speeds of 93 miles an hour. The ride has a total of two 
what is it, two tunnels, two tunnels, three turns, and four total hills. And the whole ride lasts two and a half minutes, give or take. And some of you really enjoyed that description. Some of you thought that description was awful and you wish you could take back the last two minutes. Oh, plug your ears. That's okay. I'm done describing the ride. The only thing I'm going to describe now is the slowest and most grueling part of the ride, aside from the wait time to get on it, is the, the climb up that first hill. It takes 30 seconds, 30 seconds of a two and a half minute ride. So it's a good chunk of the, the time that you're on the ride, you're going up the hill at a 45 degree angle, you're looking around you and you're seeing, because you're on that sandy peninsula, the only thing you can see is water around you. You can't see the ground anymore because you're just going straight up. But then once you reach the top, once you go over that top of the hill, you are dropped right back down. The whole rest of the ride goes really quickly. It is a blur. The world is just flying past you. It's very thrilling. It's exciting. But, oh, man, does it churn your stomach. It, it's, it's good. It's worth the three-hour wait in line. If you ever get a chance, you should go. Oftentimes, stories have a buildup like that where the characters are, are waiting, they're preparing, they're training for something, and so it can be slow, it can be meticulous as you're just waiting, going those 30 seconds, climbing up the hill, but then once you hit that peak, then the action starts. Then the whole rest of the story comes quickly and furiously, and it is great. And that's what we see here in the book of Acts. So. At the start of this year, here at North Haven, we've begun a 50-week uh, series in the book of Acts. We're going to do a deep study of the, the early church, the apostles, and how God mobilized his people to do his mission. And this is going to take us through the rest of 2022. Now, to remind you, the book of Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. So Luke was the one who wrote the book of Acts, and the book of Acts picks up right after the Gospel of Luke ends. And so you have uh, a little recap of Jesus' last few weeks here on earth after his death and resurrection. You have him giving his mission to his church or to his followers. And this is the description that, that we have of the early church. They're, they're sitting tight, they're waiting until the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus lays out his plan for the early church in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's that peak of the roller coaster. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is that key verse in the book of Acts. Jesus is saying that once the Holy Spirit comes, then the action will start. It's that hinge moment. And so that's exactly what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks as we've studied Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 covers the celebration of Pentecost, the holiday of Pentecost, and it was that moment that the Holy Spirit was unleashed on the church. So that's that incredible moment where all the people in Jerusalem heard about what God was doing, and the number of believers catapulted 
to 3,000, over 3,000 believers. And so they were waiting and, and just sitting quietly for the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden it explodes. And we're going to pick up right back here in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, continuing this explosion of action. So I invite you to open your Bibles and read with me Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can use one from the pew in front of you, or the words will also be on your screen. All right, let me read starting in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw them for money, Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, the Word of God is living and active. So every time we read it, God has something fresh that He wants to teach us, wants to give to us. And so today, we don't have enough time to unpack everything that we get from this passage. And so I want to encourage you to spend some time with it this week, sitting on it, chewing it over, and, and enjoying what God is teaching you, what God is uh, expressing to you through His Word. We also have the study guide in the bulletin in your worship folder or online. We, you can follow along with that and have some discussion with your family or friends or a small group. But take some time this week to go deeper with this message because we only have a limited amount of time today. But there are three things, three action points that I want to discuss with you this morning. Three things that we see here in Acts chapter 3 and 4. And the first is this. If God has given you his power, use it. If God has given you his power, use it. Let's read verse 6 again. Peter said to the lame man, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What was it? that Peter had. Jesus. He had the Holy Spirit. He had the power of the Holy Spirit given to him, living inside of him. We've summarized the book of Acts over the last few weeks with this phrase. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be his witness to the world. Just like he had to everybody over the last many years of his life, he had been lame from birth. And so, he had been there every day. But in that moment, Peter was prompted by the Holy Spirit to give the man what he really needed, an encounter with Jesus, the God who heals and restores, God himself. 
This isn't the first time that the disciples have performed miraculous healings. They had done this before. In Matthew chapter 10, we see this. Uh, starting in verse 1, Jesus calls the 12 disciples, 12, uh, his, his 12 leaders. There were other disciples, but these were his core group. He calls the 12 to him and gives them these instructions, starting in verse 1. He says, uh, Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then skipping to verse 7, he said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The disciples had been given the Holy Spirit as a free gift to empower them to be God's witnesses to the world. But they weren't supposed to keep it to themselves. They were supposed to freely give it. Freely you have received, now freely give. As followers of Christ, we also have been given the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul says that when you believed, you were marked in Him, that is Christ Jesus, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until those who are God's possession. When we put our faith in Jesus and what He did for us on the cross, we're given the Holy Spirit inside of us as that deposit, that, that mark, that sign that God has chosen us, that we are His and the anticipation of what is to come. And this means that we've been given power. We have been given the authority of God to bring him to the world. Just like the early church, we are his witnesses to the world. We often use the imagery of a fire, a flame, to describe the Holy Spirit. Like we see that in Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost, there are tongues of fire that come on the believers. Many believers, many Christians go around with the Holy Spirit in their hearts, but he's kept like a small ember. He's, he's cooled off with barely any heat or power. Yes, the, the person is saved, but they aren't doing anything with their faith. There's no growth. They're not bearing any fruit. There's no evidence that, that God is alive inside them. As Pastor Adam talked about, Two weeks ago, in talking about Pentecost, he, he quoted Paul's words to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. That's the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't let the Holy Spirit stay a, a dwindled flame, a, a smoldering ember in our hearts, but we should be willing to, to fan him into flame, to let him burn inside of us. Think about how different the world would look. Think about what it would look if every Christian walked around fully empowered with a blazing inferno of the Holy Spirit inside of them. How would that change our, our families, our workplaces, our communities? What would that do for our attitudes or our emotions, our mental or physical health? That would be a great change. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. If each one of us went out fully empowered with the Holy Spirit, we would change the world. Use it. You've been given this power, so use it. 
The second action point that we see is if the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something, then do it. This encounter wasn't the first time that Peter and John had met the lame man. It says in verse 2 that the man was a, a regular at the entrance to the temple, begging there every day for many years. He had been lame from birth. And once he was healed, the crowd recognized him as the man who had been sitting at the temple gate, and so they knew who he was. He, he was not a um, sidelined person in the sense that people recognized him. People knew that he was there. They knew that he was at the temple gate begging. And it also says in Acts chapter 2 that the disciples continued to meet in the temple courts every day. How many times had Peter and John crossed paths with that lame man? How many times had they maybe even interacted with him, talked with him, shared his story, shared their story, maybe even offered him some money like he was asking? How many times had, had they had that interaction before? What made this time so different? This time, the Holy Spirit prompted Peter to take a step of faith, and Peter obeyed, and it changed the whole trajectory of that man's life and the lives of so many people in the community, all because Peter listened to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit told him to do something, he did it. How many times do we let God encounters pass us by? There's a passage in Matthew 25, uh, starting in verse 31, that, that talks about this. Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate the, sh the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he'll say to the ones on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they'll also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? And we did not help you. And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. We are held responsible for the things that we do or do not do that God has asked us to do. We're God's witnesses here on earth. We, we have been given jobs by God to accomplish. We need to do them. 
What's God asking you to do? Think about that for a moment. What is God asking you to do? Is he asking you to have a conversation with someone? When I say that, does the Holy Spirit bring someone to mind that he wants you to talk to? Does he want you to buy someone a meal when you're driving past someone on the road? Does he prompt you to stop and and talk with them or care for them? Or is God asking you to take an even bigger step of faith, to, to wash the Holy Spirit, do something amazing, even seeing someone healed or empowered through that way? What's the Holy Spirit asking you to do? If the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something, then do it. The third action point is this. If Jesus deserves all the credit, declare it. The purpose of miracles like this is always to draw people to God. We see this all throughout Scripture. We see this in the Old Testament and then the New Testament. Miracles are never self-serving. They're never uh, on the surface or for the surface level of benefit of the person that is healed or restored or, or benefits from the miracle. Even when the miracle is done in private, like when Jesus turned water into wine, it wasn't just for the purpose of turning water into wine. Those who experienced the miracle knew that it came from God, and God then gets the glory. When Jesus performs miracles, performed miracles, it was a sign that he had authority and that the people should listen to him and obey what he was saying. And when the apostles in the early church performed miracles, it was always done as a sign to point people to God and to build up the faith of the believers. All of it should point to Jesus. God wants people to know him and to receive forgiveness for their sins. And so whenever he does supernatural things, it's like a neon sign pointing back to Jesus. And so then we are given the responsibility to declare it, to tell people what's going on, what God is doing. That's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 3. If we continue in the, the passage, we see that the crowd gathers and Peter quickly, or very quickly, points them back to Jesus. Let's read in verse, starting in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running to him in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, which is a courtyard of the temple. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Skipping ahead to verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. And then Peter begins to describe the message of the gospel. He says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he, he came to earth and lived a perfect life, completely obeying all of God's commandments, all of God's laws, and it's through his death on the cross he paid for our sins, paid the price that we owe And because he is resurrected from the dead, we can have the promise of eternal life in God when we put our faith in him. Peter very quickly made that clear to the crowd. He pointed the crowd back to Jesus and made sure that they knew that it was only through Jesus that the man was healed, that Jesus deserves all the credit. And because Peter pointed them back to Jesus, declaring that Jesus deserves all the credit, 
It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, that many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So I was reading, preparing for this message, and I was curious if it meant men or if it meant people. Now, there are a couple of different Greek words that, that talk about that. Um, and the Greek word here is andros, which means men, not anthropos, which means people, and is sometimes tra translated as man or mankind. This is 5,000 men, and we know that there were women who also believed, and so this is more than 5,000 people that were saved because of this message. It's an incredible witness, and it's all because Peter gave God the glory and the credit that he deserved. Not everyone liked this, though, so if we continue the story, we'll see that, that as Peter is preaching, a large, the large crowd is there, it attracts the attention of the temple guards and the religious leaders who didn't care much that Peter and John were proclaiming that Jesus was God, and so they had Peter and John arrested. They had them put in jail overnight, and then in the morning, they then uh, gathered to question them. And let's read about what happens there in chapter 4, starting in verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter was obedient to point the people back to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit then drew them to himself. Our job then is to declare Jesus to to all of those around us. We don't have to change people's hearts. That's God's job. But we have to be obedient to say what he wants us to say, to declare that Jesus deserves the credit. Not everyone will respond. Not everyone will hear and, and listen. But that doesn't change our responsibility. That just doesn't change that we then have to declare it. We let God do the rest. I want to invite the worship team back up as we end here, we wrap it up. But the book of Acts is the beginning of a new era for the world. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection and because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all believers, humanity has experienced God in a completely different way than ever before. And we're living in that era. We have the Holy Spirit given to us. We've been given the same tasks and the same responsibilities as the early church. And so we have these three action points. If God has given you his power, use it. And if the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something, then do it. And if Jesus deserves all the credit, declare it. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here today, for speaking to us, and for using uh, our impact to, to change the world around us. God, we want to be people who speak you. We want to be people who uh, declare 
you. So thank you for giving us that opportunity. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen. As we end our service, we're going to end it the same way that we've been ending for the last several weeks with this closing benediction. So I want to invite you to read along with me. We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus's witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Blessings.